either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Okay, who's ready to get back to nature? Out in the <laughs> out in the woods. What could go wrong? <laughs> we'll find out about that one and more. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from madwolf.com, checking out what's new this week. And right at the top, it's an oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens converging on a Georgia forest where a huge black bear goes on a murderous rampage after unintentionally ingesting cocaine. You've got this idea. What, oh, what should we call a movie like this? How about Cocaine Bear? <laughs> Apex Predator. High on cocaine. Out of its mind. Oh, oh man, you fucking. What's wrong with that bear? Shoot it, man! Get higher, baby. And don't ever come down. We have such good luck in nature. You know, this is one of those movies that from, you know, even before there was a trailer, from the poster, from the title, people that we know were like, yes, please. All in. And then you find out that, well, it says it's based on true events and you do a little, just a little bit of sleuthing. And it's based on a very, very small. It was basically a a news story that they just took and went, well, Let's embellish that. What if? Right, right. So at the core of this is an actual true account where a smallish bear did ingest some cocaine. Yeah, where a, a drug dealer dropped the load of cocaine into a national park, which is what happens here, and a bear overdosed from from eating one of the bricks. And apparently, you can the actual bear. You can see it. It was it was mounted and stuffed, and in, it's in like on, a mall it's in Tennessee on display somewhere, yeah, which is depressing yeah. to me. But anyway, so the writers, the producers, directors, director here is Elizabeth Banks, by yep, the way. Yep. I uh, took that idea and ran with it. Remember the old what was the, it was was it on Letterman? The old writer's embellishment. That's that's <laughs> this is the <laughs> run amok writer's embellishment on this great idea. Get a gigantic black bear. Yes, a five hundred pound black bear. And a lot of cocaine. Oh, yeah, a lot. And let's see what happens. And I'll tell you, it is. A, I think both of us were surprised at the amount of blood and gore and entrails. Yeah, and so it's being marketed as a comedy thriller. And I got to tell you, uh, you know, after seeing it, I would say, and I say this with all the respect in the world, because this is one of my favorite genres, I would call it a horror comedy just for the carnage alone, because there's a, lo- there's a lot. There's, there's a, a lot. lot of carnage. There's a lot of dis, you know, <laughs> dismemberment and, well, and entrails. The and- bear attacks people, and bears do a lot of damage, especially oh, yeah. one this big. Oh, yeah. Um, and, it, you know, and the thing is, but it's funny. I mean, the the whole point is for it to be funny. And right, if you've seen the trailer and it doesn't appeal to you, do not go. Stay away. Because you, what you're going to get is 90 minutes of that trailer. That's what you're going to get. And, right. And it's also, you know, it's not better than the trailer either. You're not going to go in and find like a deep story where lessons <laughs> no. are learned. No, and, no, you know, no. No, it is a collection of humans who happen to be at a park 
on the same day mm-hmm. as a completely deranged, high out of her mind, 500 pair, pound bear. Yeah. So you're going to get some fun with that, some blood with that. And a lot of it leans on the cast. And it's a good cast here that they've that they've assembled. Uh, let, well, Ray Liotta, you may, as you may have heard, this is his final screen performance, which is bittersweet. He doesn't have a huge part here. He's sort of like one of the drug... He's not the top kingpin, but he's kind of in charge. Um, And then his son, his his hapless kind of 'er ne'er-do-well stupid son, is played by Alden Ehrenreich. uh, Han Solo. Yeah, Han Solo. And then O'Shea Jackson Jr., they're involved with running, trying to get these drugs, all these packages of cocaine back after it had been dropped from this plane. And then you've got you've got people like Margot Martindale, who's a a, 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 a ranger, Liz. A ranger with, <laughs> and she's kind of got feelings for this ecologist. And then um, <laughs> Carrie Russell comes in as a mom looking for the, these two kids, and the two kids, one of them is Brooklyn Prince from the Florida Project. Yeah, yeah. And she ends up getting lost, and that's who they're searching for. And then her friend, this kid Christian Convery, he's great too. He's he's my favorite part of the movie. So they are um, there are two, a couple of kids. They played hooky. And they're going into the park, and Carrie Russell figures it out. Her daughter is playing hooky, and she's going to the park. And so she goes just to track down her kids. And the, Henry, the, her, the little best friend, that kid is a stitch. He, he steals funny. every scene that he's in. He was my favorite character. Although, that's really the thing, I think, for me, the charm about this film is, first of all, all of the actors are really, really good. Because you know who th- my actually my favorite character was? Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Oh plays God. Bob. Oh yeah, I liked him. I Every did time, too. His his the way he just treated the whole thing and the way he, he would comment and then he he has a little dog. He's got a little oh, poodly yeah. dog and he has to find someone to Pomeranian. Yeah, Pomeranian. And he, he he's kind of disappointed that it's not a big dog. And and I think the size of this bear probably only makes him realize that he <laughs> he wanted a killer. But he's got to get somebody to take care of the dog. And then he gets you know gets pulled into this whole. Uh, this whole bear and cocaine affair, and he winds up getting climbing on top of this gazebo, yeah, and can kind of shoot at the bear and toss him down some cocaine as this stuff is going on. He was a hoot. I he thought was. he was very funny. I thought so too. And the the other thing, there are these three skate punks, and yeah. they don't have, and they're they're hilarious. And that's you know, I think that the two things that this movie really has going for it. One is that it's an incredibly talented cast, and the other is that the cast and and Elizabeth Banks. You know, they invest in these goofball characters, so it isn't. Like, if you go see a slasher, it's not just a big series of, you know, bear meat. It's not. They're 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 you, they're you likely, they're almost all of them are going to die. Let me just yeah. warn you in advance. But you like them. You, you know, yeah. even though most of them are actually pretty bad people, you like them and you, I don't know if you root for them, you know they're going to die. But still, you, you, you enjoy them on screen. Yeah, and with a really minimum amount of introduction, mm-hmm. you're, you're pretty clear about who they are. And and that's great. And you don't want to do that. You don't, don't want to waste much time or exposition explaining who these people are. You get it. Yeah. And then we're just off and running because the bear is pretty much just wandering through, just causing havoc and killing whatever uh, <laughs> she can uh, runs into. So that's what it is. Yeah. It, it's not more than that. It's not less than that. It's a bear on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really... You know, Elizabeth Banks treats it with, I mean, she certainly doesn't shy away from the carnage, as I think we've been pretty clear about. And she doesn't shy away from the 
the drug nope. issue nope. or just it's here in your face. Oh, it yeah. is in your face. It's and I not give, a very judgy movie. No, and I give, yeah. I, I give the film credit for that. So it's it's pretty clear if, the, uh, if you're one of those that was intrigued by the trailer. I think it's also really, really excellently 1985, which is. is actually when yeah. the when the actual incident happened. Yeah. You know, I, she doesn't, she doesn't, a lot of times you'll watch a movie that's set in the mid-80s and everybody has this teased side ponytail with day glow colors. This, the, they just have bad pop music playing out of everybody's <laughs> speakers. And, and you know, it really, I thought it, it did a very good job of setting the film in 1985. Yeah, without belaboring the point. Yeah. Yeah, so all in all, it's a fun and bloody ride. Don't take the kids. This is not, <laughs> for the second week in a row now, we've had uh, killer bears. Uh, but this is better than blood and honey. Uh, oh, this hell is yes. not a cuddly bear. This is a bloody bear. High on coke. Cocaine bear, a fun bloody ride in theaters now. Next up is a comedy drama that we've been waiting to get a national release since we first saw this last year during Cinema Columbus, mm-hmm. our film festival here in Columbus, Ohio, when the host of a failing children's science show tries to fulfill his childhood dream of becoming an astronaut by building a rocket ship in his garage, a series of bizarre events occur that cause him to question his own reality. This is called linoleum. Remember when we used to talk about doing something fantastic? Whatever happened to that? I'm the only one who's even remotely rational anymore. Holy. You built this thing in like a month? Yeah. I'm about to do a test of the booster. You want to check it out? Three. Two, one. What? Wait. Einstein came up with a theory of relativity when he was 26. You go do what you're destined for. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. Not that simple. Why do you always tell yourself that? Shuttle launch in 90 seconds. Now, open your eyes. This is from writer-director, Columbus native, Colin West. What a beautiful movie this is. It's just lovely. It is just lovely. It goes somewhere that I almost guarantee you're not going to see coming, and it hits you right in the feels. It does. And great performances led by Jim Gaffigan. And this is, yeah, the comedian Jim Gaffigan. And this is not, by any means, his first dramatic role. He's had some before in smaller movies Mm -hmm. and been impressive, Mm -hmm. but it might surprise you if you're not used to his his non-comedic roles, how skilled of an actor he is. And he carries this, actually playing two roles. He does. He plays two roles. And, there, I mean, there's humor to it. It's not a comedy, but there is humor to it. And and his character, obviously, he, he has that down. He's very good at that. And that sort of awkward, goofball dad kind of humor that he has really down. But it's, it's the tenderness... Um, underneath of it that I think he just really excelled at. The yeah. whole cast is great, but but it was the the writing, I thought, it folds in on itself in the most organic and beautiful way, and also the look of this movie. It has such an excellent, nostalgic, but sort of surreal, but very grounded feel. I can't describe it properly, yeah. but it's just a gorgeous movie. Well, surreal comes into play because, you're right, it's set in suburban Dayton, mm-hmm. Ohio. Uh, about an hour or so from here, but uh, it really begins, the surreal part begins by one day at the beginning of the movie, he's out there, uh, Jim Gaffigan's main character, Cameron, he's out in his yard, and all of a sudden, a car falls out of the sky, Yep, just falls out of the sky, bam, lands in the middle of the street, and who gets out of that car but basically his younger doppelganger. Yep. 
and he's just amazed by this. And then he ends up meeting that guy later because the guy is going to take over his TV show. And right away, Cameron's like, I, I can't believe you're okay after that crash. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So things get very surreal as they want, you know, the, the network, the studio wants to take his show to a wider audience just without without Cameron as the host. They want to use this younger man who basically is a younger version of him. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard movie to explain. But it is. I, I can't Without imagine. spoilers, right. I, right. I can't imagine anybody not enjoying it. Yeah. It, and it's, it's it's got a, an also, yes, and it also has a very fine support cast. Uh, Cameron's wife is played by Ray Seahorn, and she is great. And their daughter uh, is played by Caitlin Nacon, who has been for years on- um, The Walking Dead? The Walking Dead. Yeah. Yeah, which unfortunately we don't watch. No. But- um, She's great in this. So you'll you'll probably recognize her. Also, Tony Sirloub has a small part. Yeah. Michael Ian Black. And also the kid, another a fine young actor, Gabriel Rush, who plays a new boy in school who moves into yeah, town. Yeah, he was He's wonderful. very good as well. You know, I mean, everybody. It's like every single performance, you're going to go, yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. They're all wonderful. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it's so weird, and you have to wonder, okay, where is this going? And it's great that it keeps you guessing because I really don't think you're going to you're going to guess where it does go. Mm-hmm. And then when it does get there, you're like, that is so lovely. It's lovely. That's the, the really the word that mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just a lovely story treated with such, such kindness about um, an issue that will probably be recognizable. To a lot of people, right. and it's great. You know, Colin West. The uh, we've been impressed by his work before. Mm-hmm. Double Walker was Double his first Walker. feature, which we loved, which was shot right here in Columbus. Yeah, and that's a, a ghost story. It is. This this is totally different. But the writing is so so assured, and I'm I really actually he's going to be here tomorrow night he for a Q and A. I'm curious about this one. How many drafts? Because. It's, it turns out to be a somewhat complicated story, like how he built it, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. layers of it and worked it out. It's fascinating, but it's really well done, well written, well directed, well acted. And I'm so glad that we're so glad now that it's getting a wide release yes. and certainly one to really seek out. Just a lovely, that's the word we keep coming back to, a lovely, lovely movie called Linoleum. Next up is a current Oscar nominee, the intense friendship between two 13-year-old boys, Leo and Remy suddenly gets disrupted. Struggling to understand what has happened, Leo approaches Sophie, Remy's mother. It's a film about friendship and responsibility, and it's called Close. another one where where a tough subject is treated with real tenderness and kindness yeah lovely would apply here Mm -hmm. too but mainly tenderness it is it's so tender and so well performed and and well also well written and shot it's led by another just great well two of the current oscar nominees for best international film are led by incredible performances by teenage actors in their debut. The other one's called The Quiet Girl, which I will review in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. I think. And this one, uh, the actor, young boy, Eden Dambreen plays Leo. And apparently the writer-director, Lucas Daunt, saw him on a train mm-hmm. and from a few seats away just observed his facial expressions and approached him and asked if he would be interested in auditioning. And he's got the part. And boy, the instincts of the writer-director are spot on because he's so expressive about his his facial expressions. And this is not a really talky movie, mm-hmm. but it deals with some serious subject. And he is just great. And he's got a, 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 a really 
close and expressive uh, friendship with Remy, his best friend, played by Gustave Duval. And it changes when they move up to a new school, which is essentially looks like a junior high sure. here because they're the same kids. They don't move to a new town, but they get to a new school. And so once they're there, these new friends, these new peers that don't know them already start whispering mm-hmm. about their friendship and how can they be so close and the nature of that. And that sends ripples uh, between the two of them that they they react differently to. And Leo starts getting into hockey and maybe something a little more, you know, tough, rough mm-hmm. and tumble to prove himself and find get some new friends there. And it causes a, a disruption between the two that leads to a bigger disruption. And then, as the synopsis says, Leo ends up searching out very gently, like taking small steps toward Remy's mother to try to deal with the feelings that he has. And everything is just treated so gently. That's the word that we'll keep coming back to for this. And um, it's the way that it's it's shot, the way it, it approaches friendship and that time in life where you start to maybe move away from your best friend. We've mm-hmm. seen many, many films yeah. take that on. Yeah. Many films. And this one does it very, very subtly with shots like the two of them choosing different paths on the drive on when they're riding bikes, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Not overly, doesn't beat you over the head with it. And then some of the framing, some of the uh, landscapes that Daunt uses, like uh, placing um, Leo in this field of golden flowers. Just everything is, is so gentle and, and, uh, and tender the way it treats this subject because even though a lot of films have dealt with it before, I think what this film is saying that is nowadays in the last several years or so, these kids are having to deal with some, some, some issues that maybe we didn't. Sure, definitely. We didn't have to. And they're, they're being required to deal with emotions they, they should not have to deal with at 13 years yeah, old. Yeah. And that's what this film is, is also delving into. And the importance of having adults around them who understand that and let them come when they're ready. Yep. And that's what Sophie, the Sophie character, seems to understand. that he, she, she sees him getting closer and closer to her, and she wants to reach out, but it's, it's got to be on his terms and his, and his time. When he's ready to to speak, and when it comes, it's also very touching, mm-hmm. very touching as well. So it's a beautiful film, well deserving of the nomination. I'll be really interested to see interested to see who wins this one, uh, because, like I said, the other one is called The Quiet Girl that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks is also uh, very very tender uh, about somewhat similar subject. But it's called Close, getting a wider release in theaters now. Very good. And a family drama next when a self-destructive teenager is suspended from school and asked to look after his feisty alcoholic grandmother as a punishment, the crazy time they spend together turns his life around. This is called Juniper. Why did you come here? I'd have some small talk first. You have a broken leg and you and Dad hate each other. No, I don't hate him. She was really there on the front lines taking photos. She looks like she's had a lot of fun. I think we should have a party. Oh, guess the word got around. <laughs> you sound like my kind of people. What do you want? One more passionate love affair. I should never have allowed her into our lives. She'll go back eventually. That would be a shame. Most people like sunsets. I love the sunrise. 
I will be honest with you, that synopsis does not make me want to see this movie. It makes me feel like I've already seen it 20 times. Exactly. And then you see who's starring, and you think, yep, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it a try. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's the first feature for Matthew J. Seville, who's done some acting, and he's moving into feature feature films now. I think it's his first first script and his first directing effort. And that's exactly right. It covers a lot of familiar ground. It's one of those movies where you know where it's going. Just from that synopsis, you, you know, know you going. know what's going to happen oh, exactly. Sure. So how do you elevate that with the cast? You with hire Charlotte Rampling. Charlotte Rampling <laughs> as the feisty <laughs> grandmother. And a very fine support cast as mm-hmm. well. But it all comes down to who's playing that feisty grandmother. And she is fantastic. Because yeah. feisty takes on a completely different tone when you think Charlotte Rampling. Yeah. You know, she's just going to cr- cuss you out. She's going to, you know, belittle you with a withering glance. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not going to be like yeah. a Jane Fonda feisty grandma. That's not what this no. means. No, this is totally different. She has broken her leg, so she has to come and move in for a while. And she brings her nurse along, too. Um, with her son, and her son is played by Martin Zonkis, who's and he's very good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're estranged because, as a boy, she put him in boarding school. That's one of the things that caused them caused them distance. And the same thing that he is doing to his son Sam, played by George Ferrier, who's now running afoul of the school authorities and getting suspended because he has a lot of anger because his mother, uh, Robert, his dad's wife, has has recently passed away. Mm-hmm. So he has. A lot of feelings that are not getting validated and not getting tended to. And he and his father are each dealing with this loss in different ways. And so just when mom, the grandma, Ruth, comes to move in, Robert conveniently has business to take care of out of town. So leaves it to to Sam to answer that bell that she has to ring when she needs something. And she rings it a lot. <laughs> and the nurse is, is not always there. And, of course, Sam doesn't like this. At all. No. He's not amused by this. He's not amused by much. He has these this anger at the world, and also the, the young ladies aren't spending much, giving him much time of day right now, mm-hmm. so that's frustrating. And so they spend a lot of the early time, uh, Grandma and Sam, just really feeling, feeling each other out and yelling at each other, and she throws drinks at him when he doesn't make her drink the right way. And so it starts out very, very contentious, but of course they start to learn about each other, a begrudging respect leads to finding out about their lives and the fact that Ruth has been a long time, she was a long time war photographer, right? which is very interesting. So she has seen things, she has lived a life that has made her, she has zero, zero patience for any pretense or anybody that doesn't appreciate life right? because she has seen it taken away by, by multitudes of young men in war. And uh, so she's just poking the bear with everyone to see who's, you know, who's worthy. Right. And uh, slowly it comes around and they form and they form a bond. So, of course, yes, it goes just where you think it's going to (laughs) go. But when it's elevated by someone, like you said, by Charlotte Rampling, who can who can cut you down with that steely glare. Yes. And it's great because when they're going through her photo album, they Photoshop and use a bunch of old photos of Charlotte yeah. Rampling, and you remember how striking yeah. in her younger days. Oh, yeah. I mean, she still cuts a striking figure. She does. Don't she get does. me wrong, but you remember in her early acting oh, and modeling gigs. Oh man, yeah, incredible. So that really elevates it. She's tremendous. I'll give the young George Ferrier credit too yeah, because he has good. to spend a lot of time with her one on one in scenes, and he really doesn't shrink from it. No, he measures up. Yeah, it does measure up. So it's well worth it. You're gonna know where it's going. You go. You know where it's going right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's uh, it's still a solid script and a solid first time effort for this uh, filmmaker, and just a great cast elevates it out now called Juniper. And next, a dramatic biography. It imagines the transformative, exhilarating, and uplifting journey to womanhood of a rebel and a misfit, one of the world's most famous, enigmatic, and provocative writers who died too soon at the age of 30. This is called Emily. Do not bring shame on this house, Emily. Did you write these? It's an ugly book. There's something ungodly in your writing. I feel it when we're together. You know they call you the strange one. Everyone's strange if you look at them for long enough. Who are you? You wait and see. What's fascinating to me about this is that Frances O'Connor, the actress. Mm-hmm. Wrote and directed this movie. This yes. is her first film. Yes, and you know uh, she she's always been fascinating to me. I mean, she's a, she's a tremendous talent, and so I just love that you know she finally decides I'm going to make a movie, and it's a movie about Emily Bronte. That's interesting because you know the last movie we just talked about, he was a, he's he's not as well known as an mm-hmm. actor as she is, mm-hmm. but they both just decided to move in. Uh, you can see why, where a longtime actor would have an interest. We yeah. see many of them go yeah. into filmmaking, but yeah, here's two in a row, and she she's probably more well known as uh, as an actor. But uh, yeah, nice nice start for her as well. And and I love that she wrote it also. And the other thing is, I gotta I gotta be honest, I wasn't super thrilled to watch it because I'm not a huge fan of the Bronte sisters, but I didn't know as much about Emily Bronte. And she's the middle of the of the Bronte sisters. And Wuthering Heights, to me, I, you know, I read it when I when I read it. I remember just thinking to myself, like, what was the matter with people? This isn't a romantic story. This is horrible. These people are terrible. This is so mean spirited and dark. <laughs> well, the movie suggests, yes, yes, it is. It's all those things. You're not supposed to think of it as a proper romance. You're supposed to be horrified by what happens. And, and even better still is Emily herself. She's a weirdo. And that's really frowned upon, you know, in her in her very upper crust, very prim family. And she's supposed to go become a teacher just like her sister. And uh, she just can't do it. She She's, you know, she's socially awkward. She has anxiety attacks and she's just not meant for it. So everything about the way the movie is approached was so enlightening to me. And it's easy. It's clearly from somebody who appreciates the weirdness in the novel mm-hmm. and is 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 reflecting that back on on the the author. Yeah, and like we said, Frances O'Connor wrote this mm-hmm. as well. What do you think she's best, her acting role? I mean, I think of her, the mom in AI at the end, AI, artificial intelligence. She's the mom. Well, most recently, for me, she was the mom in The Conjuring 2. Yes. And she was also okay. in Mansfield Park yeah. back in the and day. She, of course, Conjuring 2, she had much bigger parts. Well, that was, uh, yeah, that was a every big t- Just every time I see her face, I'm like, oh, it's the mom from AI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she had a totally different look in The Conjuring 2, and she had yes. an accent as well. Yeah. So uh, I think that's her accent. Yeah, well, she had an <laughs> accent in AI. Then. <laughs> You're right, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. I think she's clearly making a movie about someone that she has been interested in for quite a while. I think yeah. that's pretty clear. Well, what I love about it is that is that it's very it really is quite eye opening. About you know you 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 think of the Bronte sisters in a certain way, and then she presents this woman as quite different and as an outsider and a misfit. And the performance from Emma Mackey is just magnificent. She's she is just as awkward as she can be, but in a great way. Yeah, if you don't know Emma Mackey, she is what the third in the 
series of women who all look alike and uh, <laughs> Samara Weaving yeah. and Emma Mackey and of course um, Margot, Robbie. Margot Robbie. So if you have to look like someone, <laughs> this is the trio to join. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? What was the one? Was it last year with Molly Shannon about Emily Dickinson? Yeah, a where, couple of years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago. So great. It was such a great movie. It was such a fun movie. Wow, eye-opening. Yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and Molly Shannon was just spectacular. Yeah. And this one is uh, good too and a very fine debut as a filmmaker for a longtime actor, Francis O'Connor. It's called Emily, out in theaters now. And next is the return of a movie we have loved for many years. Wow, almost 20 now. Can you believe that? Wow. This originally came out in 2004. Mark, a traveling entertainer, is on his way home for Christmas when his van breaks down in the middle of a jerkwater town with some strange inhabitants. This is called There. You can also find this sometimes in the English title, The Ordeal. Mm -hmm. And the reason we're talking about it today is it's got a beautiful 4K restoration and it is making its way around theaters right now. My guess is that a Blu-ray will be available soon. And it's it's one of those movies that you just never got a chance to see. Yeah. And, and it hasn't been streaming for years either, so you just couldn't watch it. And it is in my top five all-time favorite movies. But be looking for a horror film. It's a horror film. Yeah, because it is an ordeal. For this man. Yeah. It is a big ordeal. And it's one that we have on our horror movie series here in Columbus, Ohio, which has been going on for nine years. We've shown this, what, twice? We have shown it twice. I thought it may be more. No, no. Just, it's, no. There are only three movies that we have shown twice. The Ordeal is one of those. Mm-hmm. And it's because it, it's because uh, no one has no ever one has seen, seen it. it. Yeah. And because it is such a, a gorgeous and glorious movie. And when we say when I say you need to be a horror fan, I don't mean a slasher. It's not like any no. movie that you've seen. When I reviewed it in the first time when it first came out, I said that if David Lynch had directed Deliverance yeah. it, in French. Yeah. It might have been like this movie. That's so good. that's what you should be prepared for. It is weird as it can be, but it has a, a you know a perfect internal logic to its weirdness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it also has what will instantly, if you've ever thought of or engaged in a conversation or made a list in your head about the greatest dance sequences in film— You'll have a new one after this, <laughs> and it is an unforgettable dance yes, sequence like nothing you've ever seen, and you will not forget it. Trust yes. me on that. And Lucas Loren is the is Mark, is the poor singer who is out just trying to make it home for Christmas, and he's so good in this movie. He's so perfect in this movie, although the entire cast is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And it gives you... When it gets to the end, his character makes a choice that will stir some conversation. Oh, yeah. I always love to talk about that. What do you think mm-hmm. about the choice he makes mm-hmm. at the end? So, yeah, if it's in your area, get see it because it's just a chance you don't get too often, especially on the big screen. Call there, a.k.a. The Ordeal, out in select theaters now in a 4K restoration. Got a based on true events story next. More true events than Cocaine Bear. I think this has more <laughs> of a basis in uh, truth. It's a story of a national spiritual awakening in the early 1970s and its origins within a community of teenage hippies in Southern California. It's the Jesus Revolution. Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're going to need a bigger church. 
Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home and I want you to tell all your friends about it. Matt Wiener reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com, and it centers on uh, Kelsey Grammer, who plays Pastor Chuck Smith, a real person of Calvary Chapel, and they he became involved early on, if you remember back in the sort of Vietnam days, uh, hippies, a part of the hippie revolution, they were they referred to themselves as Jesus freaks. And it does make sense, if you think about it, that true hippies, you know, they would embrace the very hippie lifestyle of Jesus, sure. and it made good sense. Yep. And he was having a hard time getting people in the pews, and he made friends with the leader of this group of people, and it revolutionized. It really did. Um, evangelical Christianity, it truly did. And that's what this is about. It's about sort of the, the you know, sort of hemmed in, very square, quote square, Christian church embracing these hippies and their truly Christian ideals. Yeah, the um, lead hippie. Uh, named Lonnie Frisbee, and yep. he's played by Jonathan Romy. And yeah, Kelsey Grammer, who's very good here in a, in a, a role that really suits him. Mm-hmm. As is Romy. They're both yeah. very good. Yeah. The and movie is superficial and glossy. It's a well-made movie. It's a competently made movie. Yeah. But it, it, you know, it is, it, whereas like maybe five years ago, there were a lot of, of faith-based films that seemed to just be preaching to the choir. This one seems to be very hard trying to lobby people outside the choir to join. Right, because not only, I think a lot of the movies you're talking about, not only were they preaching to the choir, they thought they had a built-in audience, right. so they didn't have to try too right. hard to be good. Right, and we this one just, is trying a little harder. Yeah. But it's also, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors in, an, in a pretty blatant attempt to to sucker in some new members of the flock. And one of the, I say it, and Matt pointed it out as well, is that the sort of, the point of the film is how open door everything is and how open to everyone is. But the truth of the matter is these two men split ways because Frisbee was a homosexual and because uh, Pastor Chuck couldn't deal with that, couldn't go along with that. So then and the so door is not, not the, the open. The door is no longer open. So it's, a, it's, it's not an open door policy. It's a pretty closed door policy. And so, you know, for it is. It's a, it's a smoke and mirrors, although a very competently made very superficial film. Yeah, so the uh, co-director and co-writer, John Irwin, and it's based on a book. Uh, Matt wrote a really fine review of yes. this film. and yeah. goes over all of this, uh, all of these issues. And please check it out because you can find that review at madwolf.com. But it's out in show, it's out in, but it's out in theaters now called The Jesus Revolution. All right, let's lighten the mood. This is a raucous black comedy about a gang of Grimsby trawler men who carry out the heist of a lifetime. Ooh, a heist movie. It's called Three Day Millionaire. Okay, listen up. We have to get through three layers of security. Number one, the security guard at the docks. Number two, thumbprint access to the buildings. Number three, that's the coded lock to the safe itself. Without which, none of this will happen. You promised me that you weren't going to do anything stupid. Why are you being so naive? This is it, boys. Daniel Baldwin, the schlocketeer, he had a fun time with this movie because it's very open about what it's trying to be. It's trying to be a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah, and yeah. it's, you know, it's it's pretty light. It, like, it's it doesn't succeed. It's But, you know, if you're kind of sleepy and half watching it, okay, it's Guy Ritchie-esque. It's, you know, it's got a little Edgar Wright thrown in there. Okay. Um, and so, you know, it, it's not a great movie about uh, about these guys who 
find out it's their last day, and so they've got they on they, the job on the job, so, <laughs> not on Earth. <laughs> no, sorry, on the job. So yeah, it's a heist movie. Like I said, heist movies are fun, and this kind of quick edit, you know, bravado comedy that's got Guy Ritchie written all over it. They they are fun, even if they're dumb. And a lot of Ritchies are dumb. Mm-hmm. So if that's if that's your cup of tea, then I think that this is a, a good movie for yeah, you. Yeah, harmless, um, but it reminds you. It's one of those movies that reminds you of the other better movies that it's trying to emulate. Yes. Uh, but Cole Meany, Cole Meany oh, shows Col- up. So, right. You know, he's always Who's fun. also been in some Guy Ritchie. Yes, he has. <laughs> <laughs> so check out uh, Daniel Baldwin. He's off this week. He's not in the lobby. He's got the uh, no vacancy sign in the lobby right now. <laughs> but he's making an appearance. You can check out his written review for Three Day Millionaire at MadWolf.com. And it is out in, oh no, it's on Prime right now. It's on VOD. Three it day, is. Three Day Millionaire. And one more, a drama about the beginning of the AIDS crisis in the early 1980s when the first wave of the epidemic hit Brazil. This is called The First Fallen. Livra a gente da ignorância. Nós vamos morrer sabendo o máximo que podíamos. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us at madwolf.com and it's from filmmaker Rodrigo de Oliveira. And it, the first fallen is part of a metaphor that he uses yeah. really beautifully throughout about soldiers. And it focuses eventually on three individuals, each of them with AIDS, very, very, very early in the crisis, living together and sort of documenting the disease mm-hmm. because nobody knew anything about it at the time and there was really no medical help for any of them. And it's a beautiful, really well-considered film with glorious performances, absolutely magnificent performances. Yeah, I like to see a movie like this because even though they're two totally different things, and I'm not making light of the beginning of the AIDS crisis at all, but when I think about living through the early 1980s, I really think of two things that are just hard to communicate to people that don't understand. Number one was MTV. Mm -hmm. You do not know the cultural revolution unless you were here right and the beginning of the AIDS crisis about how it was ignored for so long by the Reagan administration and pushed off to the side and took so long for people that had the opportunity to try to to help to take it seriously it's hard to to communicate what that was like and that's just for me talking, I'm a, uh, I, I wasn't right there dealing with it. I can't imagine no, yeah. for the people that actually had to to deal with it. Those those two things in because the early it became 80s. it became such a boogeyman because uh, there was no you know uh, real comprehensive addressing of mm-hmm. it, and mm-hmm. so it's like you know you, you just okay, well we can't you know you, I can't be in the same air conditioning as, as exactly. somebody who has AIDS. I can't touch them. Yeah. We can't eat the same food. And, and no look- one knew anything at all. And yep. everybody thought it was just, I mean, it was referred to on the news as a gay disease. Yeah, gay cancer. Gay yeah. cancer. Oh, my God. I mean, the, the misinformation at the time was, was if you're looking back on it now, astonishing. Yeah. Astonishing. And if you remember some of those first celebrities that, that had it, like mm-hmm. a Rock Hudson, mm-hmm. they, you know, denied it, oh, hid yeah. for, forever. Because oh, you yeah. just couldn't, you couldn't, couldn't admit to it. So, yeah, it's one of those things that it's just so hard to communicate to people what it was like. So yeah. I, I'm always appreciating a movie like this that is able to to do it with compassion yeah. and, and, and the way that it does. And I think the metaphor that you mentioned, that Rachel mentioned, is an apt one. Oh, it absolutely. And, and, and you know, sometimes that can be difficult, but this filmmaker really makes it work. So so seek it out. It's it's on VOD right now, the first fallen beautiful movie. Okay, and we mentioned the Schlocketeer taking the week off, so we'll move ahead to next week. Well, a big one coming next week. When we actually got to see, was it last night? No, yeah, last yeah, night. Yeah, last night. Just last night. Creed 3. Right. And so, an actual Guy Ritchie movie 
also Operation Fortune. That's Guy Ritchie? Uh-huh. Oh, that's uh, Jason Statham. I just saw the trailer for that. And uh, who? Oh, Aubrey Plaza yeah. is in that, too. All right. I want to see those two beat up on each other. Also, uh, <laughs> Little White Lie is next week. Michael Shannon, one of our oh, favorites. Yeah. I know. Right away. It looks like a good week next week. Free Skate. Spoonful of. Mm-hmm. Horror uh, movie. Ooh, Spoonful of what, blood? I don't know yet. Maybe. We'll find out. Hunt Her, Kill Her. Maybe Spoonful of Cocaine. Maybe. <laughs> I like that title, Hunt Her Slash Killer, mm-hmm. because you know the movie Hunter Killer. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I like it. It's one of those. Normally, those types of play on words are strictly for porn movies. <laughs> porn titles. Is that right? Well, you know, <laughs> Hannah does her sisters, things like that. But uh, this is nice, Hunt Her Slash Kill Her. Also, the another pun, yeah. the donor party. That's right. And then Split at the Root. Ooh. Palm Trees and Power Lines. Still the Water. And Blue Black. One word, blue, black. So there's a bunch of intriguing things, uh, films I've never even heard of for next week. <laughs> and one at the top I definitely have, so we'll talk about that next week. But what do you think about cocaine and bears and, put it, <laughs> and putting them together? <laughs> I'm glad you finished that sentence. I'm like, don't tell us what you think about cocaine. We don't care to know. <laughs> oh, that's a fun one to talk about. Or linoleum or some of the, the, the smaller and, and just really wonderful movies. Uh, to talk about this week. There's a real nice cross-section of things to uh, dig into this week. And we always like to talk about it. Find us on Twitter. That's easy, at MadWolf. Also, it's uh, MadWolf.com, the main website, and MadWolfColumbus on Facebook and Instagram. We always love interacting. Whichever way you choose, we welcome it. And uh, we will talk again next week about the new group of movies. But uh, enjoy this group. Keep in touch if you can. And until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.